are the only species that questions our belonging, and we're seeking and trying always to figure out how to belong. No other species particularly does that. You're listening to Find the Good News, Episode 105, The Dark Heart, a Beacon Series conversation featuring Lisa Diane McCall, life coach and author of The Rhythm of the Soul, A Journey of Loss and Discovery. Find the Good News is produced by Parker Brand Creative Services, a branding agency that thinks sideways, pushes forward, and gets your brand up. See what else we do at parkerbrandup.com. Have you ever made a decision with no hesitation that you knew would change your life? A choice that was so clear, so pure, that you could almost perceive the path it would lead you down. That's precisely the type of decision Lisa Diane McCall made when she decided to go on a vision quest in the Sahara Desert under the ancient and experienced guidance of the Tureg nomads. Lisa has shared much of the magic and life-changing mysticism she experienced in the Sahara through her book, The Rhythm of the Soul, A Journey of Loss and Discovery, an enchanting work of vibrant fiction existing in a unique category she calls magical realism, which is informed by Lisa's very real and transformative Saharan quests. Lisa has tooled her personal longings and nomadic travels into good works for others, drawing on her diverse background and training in biology, anthropology, international health, vision questing, and shamanism. I felt a quickening in my visit with Lisa, a siblinghood that I seek and deeply long to experience more often. Worlds apart, I understand how in sharing this conversational space together, we might be inviting others to seek out and experience a quest of their own. We spoke of wonderful, elevated, transformational things, and I feel I'm better for having been invited into Lisa McCall's circle. Now, it's time to heed the call to visit faraway ancient lands. Allow your imagination to soar on warm Saharan winds. Rest your mind around crackling embers. Soothe your soul under the cool desert moon. Then tune your attention to this good news beacon and press play on a little good news. Wake up, it's morning. Dreaming up the story I can hear. The way it's going, cause you're laughing in your sleep. On the path to your deliverance in a holy ball of light. Old news, bad news, fake news. Sometimes you want to shut those signals down and seek a better source. With my Find the Good News Beacon series, I tune into good people doing good works wherever I can find them. I scan across the full spectrum of life, seeking out human beings that have turned their dials towards helping others, aligning their time, resources, and talents with goodness, justice, mercy, and love. In each episode, I sync up with the hearts and minds of my extraordinary guests. We have dynamic conversations that invigorate the mind long after our transmission has ended. I discover the critical life experiences that shape them, the perspectives that drive them, and the fundamental beliefs that have anchored them to a path of goodness. There's a lot of background noise in the world. My name is Oren Parker, and I'm cutting through the static to find the good. I usually ask the guests to just give my listeners a little bit of a peek into who they are, or who I'm talking to today. So if you don't mind doing that, that would be fantastic. I am somebody who has taken a lot of effort in her life. Let's put it, let's put it this way, where, where I am right now, um, to figure, kind of like I, I say I, I've been stalking myself. Ooh, I love so, that. 
what what I'm doing right now is helping as a uh, certified life coach, helping people to do that as well in whatever they're bringing to me to have as an issue or they need clarity or they're at a crossroads or they're blocked. So I, I because of the amount of stalking I've done with myself throughout my life, um, and I've done that a variety of ways. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, some practical ways, tangible ways, like, you know, I've, I've um, gone to school, I've, I have a uh, bachelor's in um, zoology and animal behavior, um, and then I have a master's of health science from Johns Hopkins School of Public Health and uh, International Health. So, you know, some of the like academic ways, but along the way, there were also diving into myself, who I am. And one of the first ways I did that was uh, throwing myself out into the world and traveling. Yeah. So I've done an extensive amount of traveling and I do it. I've done it by myself. I've done it, you know, as a, a single person. Um, kind of going to different places and exploring and uh, on my own, um, and then doing things that are about doing more inner journeying, so that the outer journey is then leads you to the inner journey. And so, you know, personal work, growth, uh, ter- personal growth workshops. Um, I've done a series of three, or not series, but a, uh, three vision quests um, in my life, and I know others who have done even more than that, but <laughs> I've done three. Um, done work in the shamanic world, so you know, uh, participated in doing shamanic uh, work and learned a bit about it. I am no shaman, but I have learned uh, the the uh, ways of you know what how shamanic work is is uh, you know based in, um, and yeah, so it's just been a variety of ways that I have delved in and and thrown myself out outwardly into the world as well as inwardly within my own world and so it, it kind of I think it ended up um, bringing a voice to the world that when you when I talked with people I would find myself giving advice or they would mm. ask for insight or you know so there was this sort of hmm you know is there something I can do with not do with it in that um, other than just develop it more sure. so I could could be more present with people and and offer you know whatever guidance and and insights and and the knowledge of what I have to help them on their journey help others on their journey yeah so that's where I um, I I you know sort of looked in the idea of of doing the life coaching and it also came through another person who you uh, interviewed Bridget Bingo Gaspard yeah um, I learned from her the technique of voice dialogue so um, that idea that there's a variety of voices in our in our mind, and we sometimes know what they who they are, but many times we don't know who they are and what influence they have on us. But we continue to kind of default to their influence, uh, and sometimes even if we know their influence, we continue to keep defaulting to them. Um, so it, it's a way of um, increasing awareness of what what is who is there and how they're acting on you, and then you become more in control of what they are uh, having you do. Because sometimes we have repeated patterns mm, in our life. For sure. And you're like, that again? Yeah, <laughs> right. And by bringing more awareness to that, you say, oh, that again. Well, let me not do that. You yeah. It's, it's, it's a way of, instead of going down the road, and there's that, that uh, sort of a, I think, a, a poem that is, that it's a poem or some sort of a prose that about going down the road and you fall into the hole, 
then you go down the road and you avoid the, the hole and then right. all of a sudden you realize you don't go down that road. Um, I can't remember the, the No, but I, I'm familiar part. with that. Right. I've heard yeah, that too. Are, it's, a, it's a very common one. It's a, it's a well-known one. Um, but that idea that, you know, so we don't keep going even down the road and we identify it so that the awareness is increased and we're, we're not just being sabotaged and defaulting. We're now saying, oh, I can, I can be in control of where I am. And that's what, that's what I try to help my clients to do is to increase that so that they are now more in, in um, a control of making those decisions uh, from, a, from a balanced place. Yeah. You, know, you need all the parts, but right. how can you do it with a, a balance of those different parts of you? So that, and, and dive in, find that creative part, right? Mm. Sometimes that creativity... Because I, I I do shadow work. I say this is partly uh, you know based in what I call the dark heart. Right. Because that's that shadowy place where we're not we're not quite familiar. You know, it's a hidden it's a hidden um, the hidden parts of you that are unknown and unclaimed, and and they driving things like addiction and repetitive and sabotaging behaviors. Um, but you know, I say to believe in yourself is to deeply know yourself, even those shadowy hidden parts. And living fully includes the shadows, not shunning them. Mm -hmm. So the tagline I use is the dark heart says, live your life, even the shadows. So you I'd know? love to jump right in on that part because I, I, I'm, you've already got us there. And that's exciting for me because I was on your website reading uh, that section of your website, the dark heart. And, you know, I, I don't know how many episodes of Find the Good News you've listened to, but there is something that I've brought up many, many times on the show. And the way I've typically worded it, and I'm sure my listeners are probably <laughs> tired of hearing me say it this way because they've heard it so much, but I've often said that when I'm visiting with people through this through this apparatus, you know, the podcast mostly, or mm -hmm. anybody, but mostly the, the more front-facing version being this podcast, uh, that... My goal is for us to enter the cave together and go mm. as far in holding each other's hands. And as we get in there, it isn't to just stay there. It's to turn the lights on on the way out. And then we we decorate the door, so to speak, so that when the other people come to that cave, that's us. Uh, it's not so dark. It doesn't mean that we're erasing things. We're just shining light no. on them. And some of that, some of those things that are scaring us initially become mm -hmm. treasures that, you know, it reminds me of those haunted houses as a kid <laughs> when you would go into these, like a, a little haunted house and they would say, oh, stick your hand in this bowl. And it would be like peeled right. grapes. And they're like, there's the eyeballs. It's like that, you know, it's like, oh, the fear makes you think it's one thing. And then when the lights come on, you're right. like, oh, I was afraid of something that's actually really could is healthy for me. I just yeah. wasn't willing to look at it. And so it remind when I when I read that part, I thought, you know, it fascinates me having these different conversations with people like you and others. Uh, and I'm new to this voice dialogue thing. That was something that I had never really you know, after I talked to Bridget, I was like, okay, I've been doing a version of this sort of instinctually, but I had nothing. I didn't know. I didn't really know what it was. I was calling it different things and trying to explain this, like these conversations with the Orans, you know, and uh, uh -huh. for me, the, my, the way I was kind of trying to navigate that territory was almost like, um, imaginary time travel experiences like sure. creating circumstances or alternate realities where i could um 
engage a version that had had a different experience than me to sort of absorb that version's wisdom that I had yet to uh, attain or, or experience. I really like that. You know what I mean? And so, I, but once I talked to Bridget and then started understanding you and in your work, I was like, okay, this is a useful tool that plugs in across a lot of different disciplines and, and spirituality or, or anything really psychology counseling. I mean, it's really useful in that regard. It is. And I, you know, I, and I am no therapist. I am not a trained therapist and I don't put myself out there as right. that. What I do let my clients know is that um, I am not a therapist, but I will be able to work with you therapeutically. Oh, uh, yeah, so sure. that's what the voice dialogue kind of brings in. And then to be able to understand my demons, my, what I've gone through and done, you know, very sort of deep soul work through the vision quests and some of the shamanic work and getting, you know, in between. I, I my, One of my favorite words is interstitial. Interstitial interstitial around amongst and between right to to when we start hearing and listening to things that that it's not so based in the concrete and the logic not to say you don't want that but to to then kind of find the crevices that allow for uh, a, a, a greater or a deeper and and more um intimate conversation mm. that, that's beyond what our our allowing for what's beyond just what we think we know, right? right? Letting go of the think I know something. Well, and I always try to encourage people uh, and my clients to, number one, be playful, and number mm. two, really encourage curiosity, right? We get so stuck in our adult mind that we forget to be curious and playful. Right. So to be able to get through into those interstitial spaces which um, is is where you can kind of enter into something um, in a way that might give you new perceptions, right? Like if I put my hand in that bag and it's and it's gooey, instead of responding immediately to fear, say, "Oh, let me figure. What is that? Yeah, use curious mind. What is that? Right. You know, it doesn't have to be the immediate um, assumption and and. In, in what we what we think it is. Yeah, it's um, so interesting. You're right. I mean, so much of our um, suffering really comes from the way we're perceiving things. I mean, I think about this. But I, often I'm drawn back to a conversation I had with someone years ago. I mean, a couple of decades ago. It was, I guess, right after a my initial sort of awakening type experience when I didn't have words to put on the experience. And mm -hmm. one thing I, I started paying attention to was that just as you said, I said, you know, I'm, I'm, I was a young adult at that time, but I was very aware that this adult mind was classifying very quickly. And once I started to observe the classifications, things begin to change. Like when someone would say, I remember this observation and I was trying to share it with someone and I realized I confused them completely because I was thinking in a, a new way. I said, you know, if someone says something with words that are hateful or angry, my normal past reaction in that time period, those first two decades of my life would have been to feel hurt because mm -hmm. the words were angry, the sounds were hot and all these things. But it got. But then I thought about being at the airport and an airplane taking off, and I thought that's a loud sound, 
it's a noise. It makes wind. It's coming at me. Uh, but I don't get angry at the plane. So what it, what is the I mean, my perception at that time was what is the difference then between one sound and another, whether it's the sound of a human voice making stringing together syllables and letters and in context to put this towards me or the sound of a plane, a loud plane engine. But I apply I let one affect my emotions, but the other not. And so it just was, it was that, and I know that's, that's a, that you can go off the cliff with that kind of thinking, but it was the beginning of starting to perceive differently in a more flexible way and, and not rigidity. Right. And, and what I would say is that the, the, the key word for that is with objectivity, mm, yeah, because we right. oftentimes do not put objectivity in, in how we are perceiving even our own selves, right? We we're, we're sort of locked in barrel. And once you start trying to um, understand objectively how the exchange with another is going, then it brings down, you're exactly right, it brings down that uh, emotional reaction. Yeah. And you say, well, what's going on here? And I know this. I know this. And I know what this can do to me, but I'm not in, I'm objectively understanding that I don't have to go there. Right. And now I can work with it differently and and work with it so that i'm more open to the yeah. understanding the other person and because i've now given myself a chance to understand what my i can observe what my reaction is to it so therefore i can be more objective in my interactions with the other person so that kind of gets into this dark heart work right i mean if you're if we look at other people i mean like there's a lot of spiritual talk out there where you want to look at other beings as their highest self or their pure self or their clean self and know that perhaps that is their best state and see that in others you know the interconnectivity but as as i started thinking about it was really auspicious, actually, because this morning um, I read Thomas Merton's writings every morning and his writing this morning was in the territory of your work. He was just bringing up some of his own inner darkness, you know, things that he has had to be honest with himself about. And mm-hmm. it, it, I realized in those mo- in that moment this morning, as I was I wondered, like, why do I have this affinity to the way he writes and or the way he wrote and the way he thought? And I realized it was that very thing because it was his ability to say, hey, I'm taking a deep look, as you said, stalk myself. I'm stalking myself. And when I really get honest, I see the dark parts. You know, Mm -hmm. I saw I see it and I'm going to admit it and I'm going to call it out. I'm going to say, hey, here's some ugly stuff in me. And I like to Mm -hmm. mask it with all this other stuff. But the reality is that's there. And what it did for me is I realized is like that's why I trust his writing. It's not because of I mean I love the beautiful things and the great realizations that he has that are I guess um a little more golden and shiny. But at the same time, I don't know that I would trust those golden and shiny things if he didn't show me the mm-hmm. truth about those parts. And I was like, you know, that is such an essential thing and it just got it, it to me it linked right up with the way i was understanding your work with the dark heart and it made me think that perhaps that's also high value to look at other people and go hey you have a dark shady places inside you too and it's okay right we got to go there to it, well and that's what I, I have different sayings of the dark heart so the dark heart said live your life even the shadows 
There's another one I have that says, Darkheart says, embrace your vulnerabilities. Everybody has them, right? Yeah. No one is immune, right? It's in, It makes it scary, right, to go in there because when you go into that part of you, um, you fear becoming vulnerable. Mm. And we oftentimes label um, being vulnerable as being weak. Right. But but the thing is, if you um, and you and if you're if you're covering that vulnerability up with vulnerability up with a sense of control, like you're in control, mm-hmm. that's not really. That's where the the barriers come. That's where the solid kind of concrete thinking comes from. Yeah. So relinquishing it's like relinquishing power to what protects you. Those voices, those things that you know, and and really, the, there's more stress. We we you know. I, I know people think that if I let go and I go into that place, it's going to be really hard and I'm going to be overwhelmed and, you know, isn't it going to be scary? And, well, it it, it can be, right? Sure. And there's no promise that it isn't going to be scary. But I often, you know, kind of try to um, point out that what protects you stresses you. That That's as stressful as anything. Yeah. Um, because you're getting, by, by, by working through the protection, then you're not getting the outcomes that are serving you. Yeah. And that's, that's just a constant stress. Yeah. It's interesting. You hide your vulnerabilities. I see so many connections with this. And and this came up in my conversation with Bridget. And now I'm seeing this sort of connective tissue between this, your, this dark heart and some other things. And uh, I brought it up on the in my conversation with her, but I wonder what you think about this because I, I've only just discovered this practice this year, and I'm sort of beginning to try to do these meditations. And uh, it's the Tibetan Chobe meditation. Have are you familiar with that? That one I'm I'm not particularly, and I I don't know that one. I I, I, I didn't either. I had never heard it, but it's very. I think it's it. I as I'm understanding it, I think it's some leftover things from the the Bon tradition that kind of predated the Tibetan Buddhism. But uh, essentially, in a nutshell, what it is, and, and I'm again, I apologize to any listeners that are practice this faithfully and and, <laughs> and for what I'm about to say. But my understanding, rudimentary as it may be, is that you sort of take all of your dark parts and uh, a beast forms before you and it's made of those things mm. in your meditation. It sort of becomes like a, and I mean, they use the word demon, not in the, the Judeo-Christian sense, but it's a demon or a beast that's made of your worst, of the things you fear in yourself, all the things you hide. And this beast sits before you in your meditation. And it's it is it is you, but it's it's a beast. And what you begin to do is you instead of um, offer instead of hiding from the beast, you feed yourself to the beast. Like you imagine, like from the top of your head to your toes, you feed yourself the all of your body, and you're you're basically satiating this beast. Now, on the surface, from the west, we would say, well, you don't feed your demons. But what this method is, is it's like it's healing the demon. It's saying, hey, I see you. I've called you forth uh, these worst elements that I've hid from. And now not only do I see you and acknowledge you, but now I'm feeding you myself. And I don't know. Again, I'm still dabbling in the beginning stages of trying to understand it and utilize it. But I do see some connectivity there or some similarities Mm -hmm. in thinking with even voice dialogue. Yeah, and I and that's funny because you were describing it, and I feel 
recently I just had like in a in something I was reading because what you were describing had a familiarity that I I briefly read about it. Uh-huh. Um, and yeah, it really it it brings what it does is it brings those parts into it, well, I always feel like they're those parts are somewhere hidden. You know, the, the shadow means that they're they're off from our our visual, right? Yeah. Or they're the feeling, the understanding, the knowing. And so I always have this kind of in my mind, kind of these these parts are hanging somewhere just beyond my my like around the part of my head where I can't see. You know? <laughs> I it's love just, that description. I, I understand. If I turn my head, they're going the same. They're, they're going the. You know, they're not gonna. They're not gonna stay. They're just gonna keep staying in that same yes. angle of my head. <laughs> And they're just going to keep going around, you know, the way my head God, goes. God, can I just tell you this? I don't want to derail you, but I have said this on this show so many times. There is a witness. I call it the witness inside of me. And I don't know what it's made of, but it's like I always describe it as just back into the left. But it's uh-huh. like with me, but it's just out of like the peripheral. Yeah. And yeah. it's funny you said left because I usually go to the left when I. Interesting. Like, I was I, watching you do hand, that, and I was like, I get it this. It was right to the left, and that's the that's the part I I don't usually do it the right. I usually use How the left interesting. hand. That's interesting. That yeah. is interesting. Yeah, because wow. you know I think left right is supposed to be like more you know maybe uh, light and God going, and left is sort of like you know in the yeah. darkness and you know yeah. left doesn't have a. Left-handers always it usually is connotated. Right? Yeah, it's connected to sort of like something yeah, being something off or un, un, an aberration. Yeah. yeah, it's interesting. Yeah, God, that is fascinates yeah. me. So you have that. You have this. Um, it's niggling. It's there. It's somewhere, but you're you're not in relationship with it. So yeah. yes, the Cho is is bringing. You know, you're acknowledging, and because you're doing it willingly. See, the the problem is these parts will they'll they'll come and grab your attention. And you'll you'll readily know that that all of a sudden you're interacting with somebody in a way that is not what you want to do. And here I am doing it again. Yeah. Right? Here's this. Right. But but you're doing it without your will. You're doing it at the will of that part of you. God, right? so that's, that's, fascinating. Yes. I mean, for instance, my I have um, a very strong comparison voice because the comparison comes around and says, oh, you're not as good as that person you're not as sure. whatever it is as that person you can't right. compare to that person you re- and then that bundles with yeah well then why bother because right. if that, that person is that then you are less and so why bother trying even to be whatever you admire in that person or think you might want to achieve or look like or whatever it may be sure so why bother deflates you along with the your your comparison that you don't compare and so, you know, you hold yourself back and then you're like sitting there not doing anything the way, you know, and so that is that that's just defaulting. You know, you you're you're just falling into that pattern that 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 voice wants to protect you, because what happens if you try to do something and you're and, and if you are in comparison, you may never compare. Right. But if, right. You, if you if you say, OK, I don't need you right now, that's not where I want to be doesn't ha- there is no there there doesn't have to be a comparison why is there even having to be a comparison right if i am me and that person is that person then just keep going in in the direction that's for me i don't have to go towards or try to imitate or try to be like that other person yeah do it as i would do it so that's, have faith in myself 
that's hard. And there you go again with getting into stalking yourself because what is myself? You know, who am I truly? We, we talk about this a lot in our family. My son and I were talking about this yesterday. We were talking about uh, the two, just two different views that it's like you can have two views. You can almost take two views as if you're two different selves. Like I, the way I was describing it to my son was in, and I'm again, I'm going to just try and use the language as I understand it. Orin in time, me in time, the me that was raised by my parents and has done all the things that I've done that is married to my wife and has connections and you know social connections and family bonds that me, if someone hurts someone in my family can take the view that I need to protect my family from that person. Uh, but there's another me that isn't exactly that person that isn't exactly the one that married my wife that has this, the mother I have or the, or the societal connections that doesn't have the job I have. There's another me that takes a little higher view and that me can still love that person. That's actually maybe even hurting my family member. And, you know, we were getting into some really strange territory. I said, because that's, on one hand, I want to say, oh, that me is the true me, but that's not the truth. The true me is also the one that can be upset and protective and angry. And so finding a way to accept that is very difficult, I guess, because it's like it can create some identity crisis for some people, I think. I mean, for me, it doesn't. I just go that I have to be flexible, that there are times when I have to engage and draw on the the perspective of the one that can take a little maybe a hawk's eye view versus the one that has his feet on the ground and is actually the one sweating and toiling in the sun. You know, I don't know. Does that make any mm-hmm. sense? It was a really complex yeah, no, conversation. I, 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 love that. I love that. And uh, I love that description of it because it, it's, you know, we all talk about that higher, that higher self. And sometimes it gets a little nebulous um, as to what that <laughs> right. means. I, I like that you can actually, it's sort of, it's sort of like your, your uh, projection of and see yourself as being that, that part sort of outside of yourself. That's I like that, that, uh, ability to sort of see that there's, um, something that can, can literally see. And it's like, like astral projection. It's almost like, yeah, it's like, projection. yeah, you know you're, what, these are we interesting conversations. Cause I mean, I know other people have went down these paths before, but you know, when you're trying to speak in a way that's, uh, palatable, I think sometimes it's very difficult. I mean, to have conversations. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, the, the human mind has, I, I say we are probably the strangest creatures <laughs> in any multiverse, universe, you know, aliens, I, I, any aliens that come here are going to be really puzzled, like <laughs> beyond belief, right? how we are, who we are, and how, what, what are, what is our way of operating? I mean, it's just mind boggling. Yeah. It really is. We are how, a really strange species. We really are. So I've got to ask. I mean, I am always fascinated when I talk to people who have made life decisions like you've made and have went down the roads you've traveled. What What was the Kickstarter? What was the spark? I mean, I've heard people tell me, hey, there wasn't one, but most people had some kind of pivot. Yeah, it's um, well, I can relate to there wasn't necessarily a spark. I I think as a uh, a young child, I was I was uh, 
quite the youngest in my family. Um, I had, you know, everybody was anywhere from, I have three siblings, so nine, 10, and 14 years older than I was. And I, and I think I had to start out life being very observing mm. because you don't fit in. Gotcha. You're not an only child and you're in this, you know, adult environment. Um, and, and my family was very talkative and, you know, pursued uh, knowledge and, you know, understanding things. And so they would always be talking. And I would just be sort of sitting there listening because I was, that's all I could do. Mm-hmm. Um, and tried to, tried to, and my mother told me that I was around when we were around the, the dining room table at one point in time, I'm in my high chair and I, all this talk is going on and I'm going, I can't, I can't interact. So I think what started early on for me was a sense of observation or just that the only thing I could do with my, my early life was to be very observant. Mm. And it, it, it kind of put me on a path of who, you know, what is going on around me and, you know, just a questioning about me. And I, I, I learned, I took an anthropology class a number of years ago, and I'm not sure if this is truly Margaret Mead's quote, but I think that's what the, the teacher said. But I, I liked that it went, if you are questioning yourself, you go into psychology. If you're questioning society, you go into sociology. If you question both those things, you go into anthropology. Interesting. Oh yeah, yeah. Okay. You know, now I did zoology in my undergraduate. I, I and I've always had a love of nature, right? Yeah. So nature has been a very key part of it as well. So I think because I went deeply into understanding uh, more of the animal behavior and zoology um, aspect of it, I, it 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 was sort of a continuing progression to just continue to to just pursue the curious aspect of of humans and and cultures. I mean, especially that's why I traveled. I wanted to, I wanted to firsthand learn and understand what other cultures were and how they were. Um, because there's such richness, you know, you can't just stay in your own culture Mm. and think that you know it all. You've got to, I think, go out and experience. And even if it's watching it on TV, right, maybe you're not able to try, you know, being open to how other cultures, um, are, are what influences them and, and what makes them who they are. Um, and, and, and so it was, it was just this, this pursuit of, um, self and, and, the the other, other people, how other people operate, what cultures are like. And then it kind of, like I said, it was sort of that outer landscape. But then, um, you, you, the next step was sort of the turn, turn inward. Yeah. You know, what is, what does this mean in my who I am in relation to going out and 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 seeing what the external environment, um, you know, what what the lessons are for that, and then saying, well, where where can I go? And that means going deeper into myself. So, part of that was what drove me to do things like the vision quests yeah. and um, shamanic work and you know meditation and things sure. like that. So, yeah, I don't know that it was any one thing. I will say that when I did my first vision quest, there was a pre-vision quest me. And then a post vision quest me ah, because okay. there was there was a truly um, a shift in that experience. There really was, and it was. I always say how when I went back to my job, I was I had maybe the first day back, and I was talking with people in an, in an area of the office, and and one of the managers came up, and he kind of did a double take, oh, a double take, and said, oh oh I didn't know that was you. Interesting. I, I, didn't, I didn't recognize I didn't recognize you. So I always felt like it may have even 
shifted me on a cellular level. Right? That's I was, fascinating. I, it was vibrating in a different way because of what I had gone through. Yeah. So uh, that was that was definitely a shift, but I was doing the work that got me to actually, you know, doing the vision quest. I love this. I actually love everything you're saying because one is I have so many questions and I or just questions I wonder what you th- what you think. I mean about I think the key there, the thing that I keep latching on to is you said two words and one was pursuit and the other one was travel. And that just goes back to what you started the conversation with. You were, you've been uh, chasing yourself or stalking yourself, stalking, yeah. but uh, the value of travel, or as you said, you said, even watching on television, I would add books to that. Um, yeah. You know, that's, that's been my experience. I am not well traveled externally, but internally, I would say perhaps, I've traveled a lot and that's just because I did. I have had a curiosity myself and I've always wondered if that is sort of the the medicine to cure all the divisions in our world that we have would be. And I wonder what you thought about that. I mean, traveling externally informed you internally. It does. And I will also say that I know people who have probably traveled externally, but their mind was still somewhere Interesting. Yeah, really. You can can still travel and still not quite because it depends on how open you are with your own perception, how willing you are to really learn from that culture. I know there's there are people that go out and it's kind of the bucket list and they go here and they go there and they see this and they see that. Check boxes. Yeah, and it's not quite as like I went because I really wanted to know who am I in relation to others. Right. Yeah. How am I, you know, how do I, how do I learn from and, and, and share, you know, this, this world with others. And yeah. some people are going to just see the sites, you know, eat the food, da, 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 and nothing against them. That's fine. You know, but it, it, it doesn't necessarily mean that because you travel, it, it just completely opens you up. If you have the mindset whether again, whether you're armchair doing it or you know out and about doing it, if your pers- if your approach is, oh, I really want to understand, you know what a what a culture is or how it you know how it uh, you know how these people come together in this this thing called a culture, and knowing that I'm that that's one of the things I loved about anthropology is that idea of um, participant observer. Oh, right? you yeah. you you are participating in as part of the culture, like you have to be kind of in, in the same step as the culture, but you're still an outsider, but you're open as a participant observer, you're, you're being really open to what you are seeing and saying, Oh yeah, in relation to me, that's different, but I see the value or I see what it does. I see how it, how the, how it, you know, it's, it's a way for other humans to interact, right? Yes, totally it's get this. I've, I've I've often called this, and it's nothing earth shattering, but for me personally, and I've used this as others. I called this bearing witness. It's mm-hmm. like yeah. taking on the role of being not just just recording. Mm-hmm. You see with your eyes, and you feel with your skin, and your brain, so it saves the information. It's like a really true, like it's another layer to that. It's like I am. God, I love the way you described it. I mean, it explains it's that exact feeling I get. It's like, hey, like when you're watching a child be born, 
it's it's almost like that feeling. It's like, okay, in this moment. Well, you know what? I have a little trick that I've done that I've used to help me with this. And I've called it bearing witness for a lost ancestor uh, or a friend. Like if I have a like, for instance, my father passed away five years ago. And there are times when I'm. You know, in these last five years, when my son will be out, my youngest boy or even my oldest son will be doing something and it hits me all of a sudden that it's important. It may be something simple, maybe just watching them perform or do some art or tell me a story. And it hits me that there's some kind of excitement going on with them. And then I think, oh, you know, my father would love to be able to hear this or see this. And it's like it clicks in. I go, well, I'm just... And I know this is strange, but I go, I'm going to allow that ancestor to get to experience it through my eyes and my mm. ears. And all of a sudden, when I kind of make that little switch, mm. it all just lights up. The sounds are bright or are, are more lovely. I feel like I'm in this like holy moment all of a sudden. And I know that my dad necessarily isn't like to someone that's listening this clinically, they would go. Oh, so wait, I don't understand. Are you saying your dad is like possessing you? And you, I'm like, no, that's not what I'm saying at all. It's like something's changing within me. It's allowing me to witness, bear witness. Yeah, I love that. I love that idea. Yeah, I love that that term, bear witness, because you're giving yourself a chance to um, really take it in. You yeah, know, you're not just you're not just there. You're really you're really absorbing it. And what what I really love when you said you know your children. And that just sparked what I have always felt when I go traveling. That's what I become. A child. I become a child. Love it. I become wide-eyed, open, curious, bushy-tailed child, right? Mm. Going, oh, wow, look at this. Oh, look at that, right? If If you take that, again, I go back to curiosity. Yeah. We are, are, we kind of land curiosity in for only children. Yeah, where where ha, who has curiosity? Well, you probably would immediately say a child, right? Sure. We we forget as adults. We we can be curious as adults as well. But that's what I think. That's why I traveled so much because I loved putting myself in a place of being like a little kid again, seeing things and learning things and growing in a way that you know give gave me new information yeah. and new experiences. And I was very, I guess, like you said, bearing witness. I was yeah. taking it in in a way that enlivened me and, you know, uh, made me feel like I was um, just is just in this this new place in my in my life. Right? Yeah. It's a new place in life. We we forget that we can recreate newness in life with that sense of curiosity and playfulness. And so I'll go back to what I started with: curiosity and playfulness. As adults, we seriously, and I mean seriously, because we're so serious sometimes <laughs> forget that there's play and curiosity. You know, we, we have to get up and dance every now and then and dance as if nobody sees you. Right. And you know, I know that's a cliche, but even if you do it in your own, your own apartment, your own house, your own environments, right. Um, and just let loose, yeah. um, to, to tap back in to that, that, you know, freer part of ourselves, that youthful, you know, part that we, you know, were so curious and, and not as fettered when we were younger. Yeah. So no. yeah, I love, I love that you, that you did that. It was your children that, you know, yes, you know, they, they're very good at stirring that up, but why can't we do it as adults ourselves? You know, allow time for that ourselves. 
Longtime Find the Good News listeners know that we often meander into topics on spirit, mysticism, religion, and wisdom traditions. If you are interested in these topics, I encourage you to seek out my new podcast, The Dawn Deacon with Brother Oren. On The Dawn Deacon podcast, I consider my small place in the whole of creation, asking the old questions that have perplexed human beings for ages. Why are we here? Is there a reason for our existence? How do we balm our sufferings, enlighten our minds, and awaken our hearts? Are there powers, energies, and realities just beyond our ability to comprehend them? On the Dawn Deacon podcast, I share the teachings, practices, and perspectives I have gathered as I've made my varied, sacred, ordinary way. I hope you'll join me at the Dawn Deacon podcast so that we can traverse this landscape together. Just search The Dawn Deacon with Brother Oren in your favorite podcast app or search engine, then subscribe. Yeah, this just happened to me. Like I, I actually, this is gonna, this is a strange thing, but I really actually don't care for fireworks. And this is an odd segue, but we we go to a fireworks show every year in a in a special town that I've had a connection with for a lot of years. I don't live there, but I go there often. And I do have a friend who's who grew up there and lived there and did a lot for me, changed my life actually. But she's deceased and. Every year when I go, and we just went last weekend, when I watch the fireworks, I always, you know, she's been gone over 20 years, 25 years. But every year when I go, I do, I put myself in that witness space when the fireworks go off. And that is the only fireworks show I enjoy. It's strange because I, I go, oh, if she were here, she would be right here on this river looking at these fireworks and she would love it. And I think when I put myself in that space, you're right, I become like... 18 year old her in a way and mm-hmm. i get to look at those fireworks like it with amazement and i actually yeah. really love that feeling because it's a feeling i don't it doesn't generate for fireworks in me naturally so i don't have like a natural appreciation mm-hmm. for that you know what i mean it allows you yeah. to kind of you could probably do that with anything with eating a meal or trying new foods or exactly yeah, yeah i mean one of the things i like it's a little hard to do now because of covid i sure. i'm you know, obviously i can't see my clients um in my in my home um so there we're doing in this you know kind right. of video aspect but one of the things i have my clients do fairly early on when i see them is a savoring exercise Interesting. and you know you could do you can do it yourself you know but i do it so that you know i'm i'm exploring the different senses so i'll have a paper bag and in it i usually have like a salted chocolate caramel right and and I, I and and then I have um, uh, something of a scent, right? Another uh-huh. in a bag, kind of like you're saying. You put your hand in the bag and you don't yeah. know what's in there. Right? Yeah. So I, I have uh, something for taste. I have something for scent. I have something where they can feel. I, I had found uh, a, um, some raw cotton when I was uh, visiting my sister in in Virginia, and I picked some cotton just to. And you know, you pick, you put your hand in. Cotton is different than a cotton ball. Sure. I, I left the seeds in it. Yeah. There's like little in it, little right? but stem it's and the little dried yeah. edges. Yeah. And, and then I usually have a picture, a beautiful picture that's on my you know computer that I bring up. What's the other one? Uh, and I have a beautiful uh, piece of music, right? So what I ha- ask my client to do is each one of these, each one of these things is one of your senses, right? Mm. So you are going to take a few, not even a few minutes, just maybe a minute or a minute and a half. And, and I'm going to have you reach in the bag 
and I don't, you're not going to know what it is, but I trust, trust me, right? Keep your eyes closed. And now put that in your mouth and just be with the sense of, of taste. Just feel that melting on your tongue and what the flavoring is and how it rolls over. You know, just be really in tune with your taste, with that sense. And so then we go to the smell. So I say just open the bag and take it in. It's usually like a soap, something with a very yeah. beautifully, you know, nice soap. Um, and then reach in and just feel, just don't, don't try to identify, right? Mm -hmm. Don't be in your head, just feel, just feel the texture, feel what's there, you know, just the different things, soft and a little hard, a little, but don't identify it. Don't, yeah, it's not to play. What is it? Right. Yeah. And then I'll put the picture up and I'll have the, so each one of those senses, I have a person just for mere minute or so be really, really savoring and you don't usually do that in life. That is lovely. That's a lovely exercise. It's again, it's one of these things that gets into. I, I see a, a connection with that to something personal. You know, I keep this leather sack, and it's so fascinating. You're probably gonna, you'll find this interesting. I keep this large leather sack, and when I'm in a place or I have an experience that seems like it's in. Uh, textured that's you use the word texture i'll call it textured where it was a great joy or a great sadness or just a moment where i felt something uh, i will put something i'll find something to put in that bag and it's full huh. of just the strangest items that mean nothing to anybody else you know like there's a, a, a thumbtack in there but it's from somewhere that i know what the story of that is and oh that i love that it's wonderful it's but what I do, I know what those things feel like when I stick my hand in the bag. I I could I, if you were to ask me to draw five items, I could do it just by if I touch one, I go, oh, that's the you know uh, glass eagle or this is the uh, crepe myrtle seed. I know what it is. But what I like to do, and I do this with my teenage son quite often, at least once a month, we'll sit at the kitchen table and we'll just have a conversation, like what's going on in his life, what's he worried about, what's going on in his head. And heart and then i'll ask him to draw five items out and we lay them out in a circle you know one through five because i i don't draw them because i know what they are but i let him i say you know whatever feels good in your hand whatever they are and then we take the five items and sort of let i know what they kind of mean to me and then i let those five items that he drew inform my observation on what he uh, just told me, so to speak. It's like a a counselor to some degree that's not either one of us. The items themselves are almost informing the situation. But it's interesting because when I ask him why he picked those things, a lot of times it has to do with texture. He'll say, I don't know. I just felt this on the edge of my finger. I didn't know what it was. I was curious. And you use that word, too. So it's like driven by curiosity to know what's in this dark bag. I don't know what it is. It's touching my finger. I want to pull it out. And then we let those things inform that. It's kind of a, it's a real nebulous, but it's a lot of fun and it's kind of healthy because it yeah, ends well, up it, just. What, what comes to mind is it's kind of like using it as an oracle. A little bit like an oracle. Yeah, yeah. I would say a little bit. Not trying to cast like future or bones or anything like no, that. No, 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 say, but it, look, but the it's, oracle of, of just being in the moment and seeing yeah. what comes and how it's informing you in that moment. So yeah. that's, I, I love that. Wow, it's, that's, a, that's a wonderful. It's fun. Uh, and, and, and fun and curious thing yeah. to incorporate. Well, 
it's interesting because it makes me think about everything you're talking about because it, it causes you to not only not know what's in the bag, the mystery, the dark place, mm-hmm. you know, and then it comes out and you go, oh, I was scared of this. It's just a bottle cap, you know, it mm-hmm. felt sharp, but it's nothing that's going to hurt me. But then the other thing is it also makes you look outside at the world with curiosity, too, when you're in a moment of witness to go oh, what, what's around me so I can put it in this bag and remember this this specific textured moment of life, you know? I love that. I, I think I might start doing that. I'm, I, I, I really think that's a, that's a, and it's, you're very, you're very, hand, by doing that, you're hands on, right? You're not just passing by. You're interacting in that moment. There's a, there's a relationship with that moment. Yeah, you're not kind of phasing kind through of, it and just kind of moving past it. Yeah. On a timeline. Not just, not just like capturing it like a, a photo which you know or maybe it's kind of like a photo only you have something that's tactile of it yeah you know the so, movie inception like with the dream the movie inception where they ever yeah. did they had to have like an item to ground them it kind yeah, of reminds me of that it's like a totem or something it's saying oh yeah. you know this little piece of glass seems irrelevant and it really is it's garbage to anyone else but it kind of almost tells you that the world isn't garbage too that's something it reminds me is that even among us uh, in this world of just so many trinkets and things that secondhand sacred is kind of a important thing to cultivate because we are surrounded by a lot of things that maybe aren't commonly thought of as we think of everything as rubbish, so to speak. And it lets us look at things with new eyes, I guess. So, uh, I do have questions. I've never been on a vision quest and I I did read your book and I know your book is, um, I wrote the word down. It was magical, realism magical realism magical mm-hmm. realism which i loved that i was like yes. oh now i never had a word for that but i get the category i've read books like that and as i was reading the book i wondered i was like how much of this book is you know you and it it's informed by your real experiences uh yeah. but just so the listeners know you you went on these vision quests in the sahara desert correct with, with absolutely nomads. I, I twice, once in 2005 and a second time in 2010. So I don't know why. <laughs> don't don't ask me why that was an intrigue. <laughs> but you know, it's that, so I think we all sometimes, if you're if you're willing, you have intrigues inside of yourself that you don't really know why you have that intrigue. It's yeah. not like I have had this thing yearning all my life to go to Africa or go to that part of Africa. But in the moment that um, that informed me that I saw something about this, I absolutely said, oh, yes. And wow. I hear a yes inside of me. I, that's one of the things I, I try to help my clients and you know, people to understand that, you know, if you get a really deep yes, it doesn't feel easy, but don't ignore it. That's, that's a part of you that I think you should pay attention to. And yeah. I've done that in a variety of times in my life. So it was a big yes to go there, and um, I I have gained such amazing experiences from that, including the intrigue of what the what the the, the desert itself, you know, what experiencing you know the largest desert in the world, um, and all the the things that happen in that desert between the dunes and the sand and the massive these strange you know kind of uh, rocky outcroppings that are you know we were we were in uh in the in these mountainous areas that weren't quite like what you would think as mountains but you know it was there were lots of forms and um things that you would you know it wasn't just undulating you know and flat uh yeah. dunes or, or just flat um sand um and what really 
two things also that that just I fell in love with. One was my camel. Uh-huh. I ride the camel the first time. His name is it was Anorani, and we really did find a bond. It was almost wow. like a camel whisperer in some ways. <laughs> uh, there was a, a really amazing bond that in a very short time, yeah, two week period that I was there, that this camel and I really found a great affinity with and for each other. Mm. Um, and and then also the Tuareg nomads. Um, they. The it's a Muslim society that's actually um, matriarchal. They they are a matriarchal society. Um, the men are the ones that cover themselves up with what's called a shesh. So they yards and yards of, of fabric. They go around as a turban, and then they they it goes across their face so that of course it, it's good protection. And when you're in a sandy environment, and then and when we all changed into this the the um, the garb that that the, that the um, Tuareg wore. So we. We undid, you know, got got out of our Western wear and 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 put the the, the shesh and then what's called a gondra, which was a long tunic with um, pull-on matching um, pants. And so these were this was what we went in with. We sort of transformed and and became. This is what I love about culture, right? Yeah. We got to be a bit like participant observer. We were actually participating in the way we were. Um, you know, dressing and riding camels and sitting around the campfire and tea. There's a huge tea ceremony. I'm not huge, but I mean, it's a very, it's a very ingrained tea ceremony. It's important. Yeah. I mean, it's part of there and it's, and it's three rounds of tea. And every time you sit down, if you're taking a break, if you're having lunch, if you're having, you know, dinner, if you're having someone is, there's, there's somebody who is the tea maker who is making the tea in these three rounds. And and so I utilize that as part of my um, my writing that has a magical realism to it, and so that they they describe the three rounds as the first is bitter like life, the second is strong like love, and the third is sweet like death. Wow. So I weave those those different descriptions into my into this magical realism of how yeah. uh, my my character Layla is transported or, you know, takes these, these different, um, uh, you know, tees in at the different round and what it, it's informing her. So she's, she's learning more about herself, but she's also learning about something that she went to the desert to, 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 um, explore further about her family. My, my character is, is a, is a, a woman who had been raised by two anthropological parents. So here's my anthropology. Yep, interest. Right. <laughs> two anthropological parents that, you know, are studying in the field these Tuareg nomad, and she gets to grow up in that in that time frame as a child with them. Um, and and I what I also do is weave in um, the the historical aspects. So in the early 1990s, there was a lot of there was revolution that was going on. There were a lot of uh, uprisings and 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 you know unrest and things that were going on that in my story. And impacts the family and really rips them apart in a bad way. Yeah. Um, and then she's now coming back to explore, you know, the, what happened in that, in that time of her life, but also because she feels like there's a vast void inside. And that's what I felt like when I went to the desert, I'm, I'm, there's something of a vast void inside of me. And what represented it was the vast void of this huge desert of, of the Sahara. And so, you know, to go there, and let's, let's think, let, you know, think about the prophets that have gone there. You know, Muhammad went there, Christ went there. You know, it's it's a representation of the the true ability to 
sink into yourself because there's no just you know there's not the kind of distraction you know you're you're really in an open wide open space um so so doing that and and being with the tuareg and really as you go into a vision quest what you're doing is you're doing group work and you have elders who are helping you to to kind of you know do some you know digging in you bring what you're bringing at that moment in your life to this to this experience um, it, what, what are you, what are you thinking into? What do you, what do you want to, you know, be more in tune with inside of yourself? And as you do the, the group work and, and go deeper, in this case, we were going deeper into the desert, you finally get to a place where you sever, right? So there's, there's, um, well, there's severing to go in to actually do this experience. You got to kind of let, you're yeah, your tether you has know. to kind of be cut, right? You got to get yep. out there you and let to, yourself. You have to let go and not be with your cell phones and your responsibilities and your family and your friends and, you know, out of, out of comfort uh, way. Yeah. So as you're, as you're severing and, and as you're going deeper into the experience, there's then a place where you go over a threshold and that threshold is going into your solo spot yeah. where you are sitting for three days and nights. And you're fasting, and you start fasting the day before you go into those three days and nights. So it's really, and, and it, the ones I've done, you can do, I mean, there's people who do longer fasts, but the ones I've done, it's, it's a four-day fast with three days sitting solo, obviously with water. You're going to have to have sure, water. sure. So in that, in that space of that solo time, um, you do what you probably try to avoid to do. I know most people would avoid sitting alone by themselves. For an hour, I mean, I know people, it's very hard to meditate because you are just inundated with those, as we've been talking about, those voices, mm-hmm. and it's scattering. And so you're sitting there for three days and nights, um, being in relation to what the external landscape is to your internal landscape. How does it mirror, right? Oh. What do you notice in, in that landscape? And what is it? What it? What kind of? What a kind of messages or or um, you know? What are you noticing that that you can then say? Oh, that's a that's a metaphor. That has something. I'm noticing it because what am I going through inside of myself? And then right. the mirroring, right, is yeah. is about that. I mean, it, uh, you know, you can be anywhere. I know people have seen like they, they're they're completely overwhelmed by seeing a dead tree, right? You just like you get into this relationship with a dead tree. You know, like what is that? Well, then it, it brings up what am I? What am I trying to let go of? Or what am I grieving? Or those kinds of. That's what I'm saying. You know, what you see in the landscape can then bring you in closer connection with that those the vulnerable parts that are the hidden parts that you're you're now bringing into um, a different story. It's it, it brings the story externally. It brings it sort of archetypally. Yeah. It makes it, you know, outside. It expands you because you're not just saying the same story. You're staying in the same, you know, way of seeing things inside of yourself. You're now bringing externally and bringing it into a more expansive story of yourself. I'm and sure. So it, and then, you know, go ahead. Well, I'm, I'm sure that it, I was thinking about this when I was reading your book and now listening to you talk about it. And I would will tell the listeners, too, if you go to your website, there's a picture of you with the camel in the yeah. garb, right? The the cultural yeah. garb. But that was something yeah. that was, seemed key to me. Uh, and I, I guess I tried to relate to something personal, but it was it was the idea there of wrapping your identity up 
you know, in this, what did you say? It was a sh- shosh? Shash. Shash? Shash. Wrapping yourself uh-huh. up and like almost like obscuring your old self to some degree, hiding it away from where it came from and you're know, putting on a new, the garb of the culture. And I was like, there's got to be some part of that that is helpful because when you think about it, I mean, even in people who enter um, like a monastic life or something like that, they adopt, you know, the tunic and they maybe cut their hair a certain mm-hmm. way. And it's like the old identity, uh, the things that were you used to sort of frame yourself aren't there anymore, you know, because I, I was right. thinking about how my wife had bought me a, uh, a meditation robe many years ago. And I remember the first time I put it on and I thought how odd this is to be wearing this in my home, because in my home I wear jeans and sandals and, you know, a T-shirt or whatever. But this is so odd to be wearing. I felt like an alien in my own not right body when i put it on because i was like this isn't my attire this is but it but the flip side that I, of that was this is triggering a part of me that longs to to be more involved with this yeah. type of activity and so it's kind of reminds me of what you're saying about the desert combined with the isolation on top of the uh you know again your 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 identity yeah, yeah you're able to sort of shed things that it's very difficult to shed when you're in society exactly and what was really um the way that this was set up by the people who were guiding it i really uh, was also intriguing we we actually ordered these um these these the the clothing really? um, and, and specified uh the colors oh of wow that we Okay. So we that somebody there we kind of measured ourselves and sent them off. And, Interesting. And okay. They, somebody made these things for us. I mean, we paid for it. And, yeah. You know, we they set up, but we did three sets. We ordered three sets of these the Shesh and Gandara, and obviously we shed. You know, before we went into the desert and got you know started the journey, we we changed out of the Western wear into the Shesh and the first. You chose whichever one you thought was going to be your first, second, and third, right? And they represented different parts of what your journey was going through. So when you're, you know, like I said, severing, you're going in, you're starting this journey. Well, like my first one, and I'll tell you one of the reasons why I was um, uh, influenced to go there. I chose all white. Interesting. And who wears all white in a desert? That's a famous figure. You know who I might be influenced by. <laughs> right, right, right. Yeah, I mean, you're thinking. of Arabia? Yeah, right. The movie, that's what I was thinking because I've seen that and I was like, that's exactly what he's wearing. And I love that movie. Yeah, it's a wonderful so movie. When I changed into that white gondola and shesh, I went, I didn't want anybody to see me. I wanted, there's a scene where he's, he has transformed and he they gave him you know, the, the, the garb to wear. And he goes off and he just kind of prances and, you know, <laughs> waves his hand and, you know, just kind of stands proudly because now he's now in this role, right? He's yeah. now embodying this role as this this sort of Arab that he's become, right? Uh-huh. So I just did that. I went off somewhere and I, just, I imitated, uh, you know, Peter O'Toole doing Lawrence of Arabia, having wow. changed into this. It was really wonderful. I was like, yeah. oh my God, I feel like I'm Lawrence of Arabia. You, know? hey, you can so, draw so, on that as in, embody it. Yeah. Interesting. And then what, what you do, um, you go into, then then you change when you're, when you're going to go into the threshold, over the threshold, as I said, where you're now going into the solo days. You're now 
if you want, and you know, I felt that was the time, I changed out of that okay. and I changed into an, another set. Gotcha. Of, of, okay. You know, colors or whatever. Um, and, and so I, my solo days were spent in that set that I had chosen. And then you come out over another threshold and, and incorporating the, 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 the third stage is incorporation where what you have witnessed, gone through, experienced, and it's in there. It, it's a, it, you come out, I swear, I've seen pictures of what we look like when we come out of that three days. You look like you've come from outer space. There is this <laughs> far off look on your eyes. Like, I'm not really here yet, but I'm just going to be like, you're, you know, uh-huh. fasting. And, you know, in, in the wilderness, you're not seeing what you see every day. You're right. just completely, you know, in this very, it becomes sort of unearthly or like unworldly. Sure. You're just sort of outside of yourself or inside of I yourself. Bet. And once you, and what you, what you do is each one of us sits in front of the elders who are, you know, guiding this and you speak your story. You, you say what happened in those three days oh. and you think it was just blah, 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 blah. And then I saw this and then I saw that. And what's really wonderful, I mean, sometimes you might have some insight on what you went through or some something, you know, really, uh, you know, grabs you in this and you're speaking it very emotionally. But when you are when the, when you're then mirrored by elders, they're taking it. They're listening very deeply and they, they're used to this. They know these these things, these stories, and they're thinking archetypally and they're sure. thinking of how the how can how can they reflect this story back? You get another level of even deeper meaning and and understanding that you may not have gotten but with somebody's reflection somebody's external and and saged words you now have a way of of holding it that expands you even more i gotta say like what an incredible i mean i'm listening to this just going everything about this sounds like something that would change your life. I mean, there is no doubt that, like you said, that you were different. I can see, I mean, there's no way that that can't affect you in a a positive way. Yeah. Yeah. And it, and it's not easy. You know, you're not doing anything that's like a piece of cake. And I just went, no, just like anything in life, it it's, it's going into a rabbit hole. It's a dark thing. It's uncertain. It has, you know, scary kind of what's going, you know, but, but if you stay present, and, and that's one of the things any you know, Vision Quest organization should make sure that in you know, the ones that I have gone through, safety first and foremost, right? There's mm-hmm. all kinds of safety that are part of this experience. So you are willing, you are able to go off and do this, knowing that there's safety, you know, inherent in the process. Yeah. So after you've, after you've uh, sort of gone through this and you're breaking the fast, right, you then they usually break the fast with an avocado. So oh, it's a good proteins um, you know, and, and fats. Got the, the fats and things yeah, that are, that are good for digesting when you're breaking a fast. And, and when you're ready, you then change out of that, that clothing and you change into what's going to be the you that's now taking those experiences and, and now incorporating what you've gone through into your into this new way of being into this into this life that you're that you're proceeding with so then you change that's your third you know set that you that you change into i love so this i love how they had that i i guess i now now my i have 
I could probably sit and ask you questions all day, but the, the immediate one that I'm curious about is, so you have, you do that. How do you take that then and just sort of to seal it all in? How do you take an experience like that and then utilize it to help the people that you work with? Because, I mean, it helps you, but you can't take them on retreats like that. Or, or not retreats, I'm sorry, vision quests. That's not what you do. You don't take people on these trips like this. Right. So, but, but I can, I have to imagine that you still give people some kind you probably use the cycles of that journey in your work with people to help them. Correct. Yeah. I mean, and, and it's, it's really about, um, what I know, what I have, what, what I have gone through in my own self. Mm. And so then I can, in, it, it's it's grown into myself. I've grown myself intuitively because of these things. I, I'm a, a more intuitive being than I have been, you know, without having done them. Or you know, you know, the more you pay attention, the more you you know learn and and do within your own self. You you grow that intuitiveness. And so when I hear, I can you know that deep listening. When I hear people describing where they are with something. I'm like, oh yeah, there's the under, there's the underlying story, right? Yeah. What's going on behind that or under it, or how can I guide them in a way that creatively and playfully and with curiosity helps them to unlayer and go deeper into what, into touching into, into the more authentic parts of themselves. Yeah. God, that's... So because that, that idea, you know, and not, we're not going on a vision quest. We're not, but I, I hold the container for them to, you know, continue to keep ex- exploring themselves. And I try to use creativity. I use writing exercises. And there are times when I have, I actually take people on nature walks. Yeah, I heard so, read that. Yeah. Yeah. I get, I get them, you know, we, we kind of, I ask them to sort of find an intention. What is, what is it they maybe want to work on? Is there anything in, spe- in a specific way that they want to, you know, it's, you know, kind of being in there, let's say it's grabbing their attention at this moment in their life. And they'd like to get a little more clarity or, you know, um, uh, just a, just a, a little bit more of a relationship with it. And so, you know, when you, as I say, threshold, when you step, you, you help a person step over a threshold and say, now this is sacred space. This is the, that's this is the nature external nature as a mirror to your internal nature what are you noticing what Mm. do you see and you can do anybody can do this for themselves you know say i'm i'm going with an intention i'm going to there's a branch here there's i'm going to put a rock in here i'm going to that's my representation of stepping over so that i'm now my my radar my attention my you know, everything that's sort of that soft belly of me is now really open and just be very observant of what comes, what, what I see, what I observe, what I hear, what presents. Cause sometimes something presents. I had a, I had a client at one point in time, this is actually, actually after she had gone through the walk and we were sitting and we were kind of, then I, you know, I mirror and we, we talk about it. And what happened was there was a hawk and like a crow that was going after the hawk above us. And if that wasn't something yeah. deep for her, right. right? because she was in that space of, 
allowing these, these, I mean, nature has so much to inform us if we really open to it. Yeah. But we, we've become so disconnected from nature in our, in our, modern life. Yeah, we have. You're right. I, it, we we practice, I guess the best way to say it would just be like animal medicine. And, and we've and there are certain animals that we know mean certain things to us as a family. And so when we're traveling together and we see those animals pop up out of nowhere, we usually and I, and I always say this because there are people who, who think immediately when I just said that, I know there are people that hear that and go, that's ridiculous, <laughs> but I don't find that kind of thing any more ridiculous than just having a painting of like, I have, you know, r- spiritual icons and religious relics around my home. They're hanging on the wall. So when not for not as decoration, but when I walk by, you know, the cross of Christ, or when I walk by mm-hmm. a smiling Buddha, it's not to go, oh, cool, look how cultured I am. I'm so eclectic or whatever. It's to go, oh, I need to remember something. Mm-hmm. And so that's you can do that with animals and nature, too, to say, okay, yeah, what yeah, could absolutely. these potential, especially in combination, as you described, when you have a tree that's you know odd place and then there's certain, you know, maybe a couple of animals show up in it and you're like, oh, okay, there's something it- here. Right, and it's and it's not like oh, let me look it up. Let me go to the yeah, Google right. and look up and see what <laughs> right. what does deer mean? You know, I'm right? Like, exactly. I, I think it's like a cringe when people say, "Oh, I'm going to look up and what?" No, 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 no. It's not the definition right. that is anything but you, right? Right, it's right. What you perceive it to be. It's right. not the defined. Oh, here's what they say about deer in you know this yep. website that somebody you know right. It's no, no. It's like, what is it? What does it mean for you? Yeah. Um, it's 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 what it brings as a as a representation of you. Yeah. And and one of the things I I I think it's it might be John O'Donohue or um, any one of those people in that vein um, who has said we are the only species. David White. We are the only species that does not belong. That 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 questions our belonging. Right. That's true. The only species. That questions our belonging. And we're seeking and trying always to figure out how to belong. Yeah. No other species particularly does that. It's so interesting to hear you say that because I, I was thinking about this just a few days ago. I was traveling and I, I always, where I was going, I kind of take this sort of backcountry road. It's horrible highway to drive, but it's completely dilapidated. But it drives me past these beautiful fields. At least they're beautiful to me. And I always see hawk, big, beautiful field hawks that come flying when I drive by. And I, I was thinking about pretty much what you said. This hawk, he landed on a power line and he was just sitting there, you know, like a like a, a sentinel out in the openness. And I, I love something about that. But I thought, you know, he's probably hunting, watching for prey, mm-hmm. something to eat. And that power line that... It, to him is no he isn't thinking oh this power line i guess i'll sit here you know i'd much rather it be a natural branch you know in a tree i can't believe people put these here you know the hawk is not thinking any of these things to him his yeah. feet are firm his vision's clear and he's doing what he's naturally meant to do he's found his place within the things that we've erected and he's fine with it it doesn't agonize over this you know belongs to a niche in which he is well attuned to yeah and our niches are everywhere and anywhere and we're i mean that there's a there's an interesting aspect of how we've been able to you know 
invade any niche. But there's obviously the downside to how we've been able to invade right. any niche and, right. and what, right. we, what we do in the process. But, yeah. um, and I, I, that's why, that's, I mean, that's one of the reasons I think I call my, my book The Rhythm of the Soul, because we, we are, it, I, I do like to help people find that rhythm. What is that rhythm, that deeper rhythm of you, so that you're, you're living more of a soulful life than, you know, doing something that, um, it's like a, you know, the, your, your life defined by any, any other person is not your life. Yeah. How can you be in your life? What I got to tell you, I love everything about this conversation. I've loved your method too, because I, I haven't heard you one time in, in, in our talk. And maybe if I, maybe if we talked longer, it might occur, but not once have you said, this is the specific thing you have to do, you know, like, and, I, and I'm not going to poo poo on anybody's method. It's just, there's a lot of flex and flow and bend in the way you speak. And I haven't heard you say, Oh, you need this crystal or you need this relic, or you need to say this prayer, or you need to go to this location and do this culture's. I mean, you went to the Sahara and you did a vision quest, but you're not telling everybody that's the vision question you take. I just love that because it leaves the doors open for people to enter wherever they're coming from and whatever they're bringing to the table. Yeah, and I always tell people, you don't have to go to the ends of the earth. Right. Okay. <laughs> I did because that was my I, – I love to travel. I love anthropology, and that was the appeal to go somewhere that was literally the ends of the earth. You know, I was as close to Timbuktu um, as I've ever been. When people tell you to go to Timbuktu, I'll be like, well, that was <laughs> – You're actually – <laughs> So that's all right. I've already been there. Yeah. But no, I, 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 I always tell people – and, and actually, one of my clients, I, I kept saying to him over and over again, you know, you are doing work in your everyday life that mm. blows my mind because that's the kind of stuff that I usually do in personal growth workshops or on vision quests or in, I'm like, you're doing this every, you're coming to these things in and in, in every day you're working, you're with your family, you're doing responsibility, you're doing, and you're still having these amazing openings and realizations and insights. And I'm like, that's, that's amazing. I'm really amazed that you're able to, in that context, do this. I, I had, I, you know, not that I say I haven't done that, but it's like, oh, I'm sorry. it just goes to show you that it, it doesn't have to be at the ends of the earth, right? You don't have to go to the ends of the earth. Do it. You can do it in your own backyard. You can do it in your life. Yeah. And it. And I say, I say, I believe in everything, and I believe in nothing. Gosh, I've said the, I have said those same words, mm-hmm. I, and I, I really have. Not no lie. When as soon you said that, it just struck me like a bolt. I believe in everything, and I believe in nothing. Like I can sit down. I've had these conversations with somebody. I'll say, well, I think even, and this is sad to me. I will say this. Someone will say. People who don't maybe know me well, but they've they've been exposed to the show or other works, and they may be, well, you know, I'm an atheist. They'll tell me something like that. I'm an atheist. And I go, well, that's fine. We can, what do you mean? And they're like, well, yeah, but you're religious. And I go, I don't know why someone thinks that. It's not religious. I don't know where it comes from. I think sometimes we've just not had enough of these conversations in the public domain or maybe the way we're having them that people immediately assume 
there's barriers. Like they they throw it into they, yeah. they want to kick a, a can with a label to put it in so they can understand yeah, I it. Yeah, labeling is is the that uh, humans labeling are us is what it is. <laughs> <laughs> right? Yeah, exactly. And I'm like, gosh, I wish yeah, we could get past that us. point, and we can have so much more. Yeah. We can learn so much more from each other. You know, we really could. Yeah. 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 I, there so was then, something and, and I was. I think when you say I believe in everything and I believe in nothing. What I what I mean by it is, I want you to do what works for you. Yeah. Because it only it only will ha- it will only help you. I mean, life is freaking suffering. Life is not easy. Yeah. There is really not a lot easy about life. Um, and if you can find whatever way you can that that helps you to feel like you can navigate life, and it feeds you in a way that keeps you buoyant and continuing and, you know, able to address the ups and downs of it as, as long as it doesn't harm others, you know, you don't want to, you know, if if it's, if it's what you do that doesn't harm others, um, by all means, please use it liberally and use it, uh, whatever way to keep you going. Yeah. It's beautiful. I'm happy. I know it. Hey there, good news listener. I hope you've enjoyed this episode as much as I've enjoyed producing it. Now, it's time for the Fishing for Goodies segment, where I turn my interviewer role over to the Good News Fishbowl. Longtime listeners know that the Fishbowl contains over 400 unique questions, many seated by you, the listeners. Did you know that you could submit unique questions to the Fishbowl? That's right. Just call the Good News Hotline at 802-459-1668 to have your question added. You can also visit findthegood.news and send me an email. Now, let's take that dive into the fishbowl. I've really thoroughly enjoyed this conversation. I could stay online on this call all day. Me too. <laughs> I do have a part of the show called Fishing for Goodies. I don't know if you've listened to that part of the show yet, but there's this fishbowl that I've had for no, a while. I don't think I have. Okay, well, this is where I I give up my questions and I let the fishbowl take over. So when I started the show, I had this great idea that I was going to be this master interviewer. And I had these 50 questions that I wrote that I thought were uh, just great for having a kind of conversation you and I had. I very quickly realized that me trying to ask all those questions was completely taking me out of the conversation. I wasn't really being present. So I cut them up and I stuck them in the fishbowl and I decided I would just draw three of them at the end. But I've been letting listeners and past guests also email me and call in questions uh, to add to the fishbowl over time. So Yes, I noticed there's quite a lot of pieces of paper in there. There's a a whole (laughs) lot in here. So what I do is I draw three and then we will mysteriously, I'll I'll ask them. I don't know what they are yet. And then we'll see what you have to say if you're cool with that. Okay. I, I'm, I'm totally, I, I say, I love how things I let, I try to work uh, in my life so that I'm um, letting it unfold organically. Oh, well, this is, this is organic as it gets. This That's is what, organically uh, unfolding. Yeah. For sure. I've been surprised. Sometimes they're really great. And sometimes I'm like, that is an odd question, but yeah. I, we, we try to roll with it. All right. Well, here's the first question. Oh, this is, pointed directly at everything we talked about already you may need another question it says what chance encounter changed your life forever i guess the word chance would probably be the key word yes. there so in, in in 
chance meaning that it, it happened without like my forethought or yeah. that I was planning on it. So chance happening that changed my life. Well, here's, here's a, okay. So it, it would, I could still bring it back to the vision quest, the first vision quest. Oh, really? Um, because how did I learn about that vision quest? Ah, okay. Well, um, I, I, I'm sure people know about the Omega Institute, where there's uh, it's upstate New York, and it's a wonderful uh, kind of campus that uh, has multiple, all kinds of anything from spiritual to sports to you name it, writing, uh, these, these uh, kind of workshops. And it's a beautiful campus, and you know, so you, you stay there in, um, in this beautiful setting, and you take these little workshoppy things. Well, I would get the, the catalog, right, the periodic catalog of what's up, coming up this season. And I'm going through it, and in the back, there happened to be this the, you know, like little um, advertising section, and I see this thing with kind of a big, uh, or not a big, but like a, a little picture of a big um, wilderness picture right it's it's like a real wilderness picture and this thing called and i will advertise them on here they're called animus valley institute that's okay. the um, place that i i did my first vision quest and i remember looking that at that reading the description and going yes and then going <laughs> what i'm like yes and i'm like holy what 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 and i i realized at that moment in my life that i had to be doing i had to start doing things that was not just in four walls, you know, like personal growth workshops. Well, they're in four walls, and you're always in someplace, and you're in a setting. And right. I'm like, I need to break out. I need to, to do it outside of the four walls. And I remember consciously thinking, mm -hmm. hmm, I think I need to do something that's not just in four walls. So that was the chance encounter yeah. that got me to then doing that thing which did actually shift my life. I love your I love your yes. I mean, that thing, that the way you've described that, throughout our conversation and just now too it's like it was it sounds like it was just a, a thunderbolt it's a capital y capital e capital s exclamation 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 i mean that's all i can describe it as if i hear that it, d deeply internally um even when it sort of goes you're going what you know you're kind of questioning and oh let me tell you it was not easy to get myself set up to go on that first vision quest You've got to spend. It's not just the money that you're spending to go and do right to, to take the, the the actual uh, experience. Well, I had to have a, a sleeping bag that had the proper loft, and you had oh. to have kind of shoes, and you had to kind of have all the kinds of clothing you had to wear, yeah. and this, da 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 da, and and the coat, and this. I was I was really gnashing my teeth. Look at all this money I'm spending. Why am I doing it? This is ridiculous. <laughs> it's like it's you know. Why can't they just have stuff there that I can borrow? Right, up? right. I was like, nah. Resistance <laughs> and resistance is part of the process. Yeah, so, well, that's interesting. Yeah, it's like you said. Those are a lot of things that can get in the way. You can just go. Oh, I'm just going to hop, skip over to this place. But if you live like like me, I live on the Louisiana Gulf Coast. If mm -hmm. I never leave the Louisiana Gulf Coast, even a trip to Colorado in the winter means it's not just the ticket or uh -huh. wherever I'm staying. I've got to buy the proper clothing and shoes and, and you know, uh -huh. all the implements of living in cold weather. So yeah, you're right. We did that actually. And I remember I told my wife I said on our next trip to Colorado, I am going to uh, invest in the proper clothing because it's fun, but when, you know, if yeah, you're going to travel, you got to. Yeah. So yeah, you're you're going to this this environment. I'm sure that is like you said, an alien landscape to some mm -hmm. degree. Yeah. 
Very interesting. Okay, so this was the second question I drew out. What's something about you that surprises people when they first hear it? <laughs> that's that's one of those questions that I go home. Hmm. <laughs> what would surprise people that when they, they first hear me? Or hear well, first, when somebody meets you and then they find out something that they go, oh, I did not know this. I, they maybe I even, did not know that about you. Yeah, like that surprises um, me. Let's see. Would that be? These are complex okay. questions today. <laughs> it, 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 well, yeah. Yeah, that's one of those things I'm like, hmm, what would I say? What would I say? I, I get angry. Do you? I get yeah. <laughs> I, oh, do I have a temper? I, that, that's actually, it's interesting. I say, you know, oh, yeah, I, I, I have anger. They're like, you? You have a, oh, yeah. I mean, I do have a hole in a wall in my closet. <laughs> <laughs> I understand. <laughs> I do have anger. I yeah. release anger. <laughs> uh, and my neighbors probably hear me releasing anger. So, yeah, <laughs> I have an anger side. I And people are, you know, I clients I work with probably wouldn't know that. But it's 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 one of those things that because I know a lot of people, there, there are people who have no relationship with their anger. Right. None whatsoever. And so, you know, I, I, I can help people, you know, not loose, loose the anger in them. I mean, you're not, you know, release this, this, you know, wild beast, but to, to just help them understand it's okay. Right. It's right. okay. Anger is also part of life. Yeah. It is a repertoire in our life that, you know, you don't want it to overwhelm you and overtake you and punch holes in the wall. I don't do that anymore, thankfully. <laughs> yeah. But you know, you you know, taming it a little bit so that then it drives you. It, yeah. It it moves you. It motivates you, right? So I feel like that that part of me is what has motivated me to go off and and do something like traveling by myself, right? Um, I can stand up for myself. I, I was traveling once in um, I was in Czechoslovakia. This was after the, the wall came down. And there was a man who kept seemingly stalking me, hmm. and I would sh- I would go around into another store, and then there he was, and I was like, you know, that can get a little creepy. You're a single woman, you're wa- you know doing this. Sure. Well, here's what I did. I roared at him. I was in the store, and this man was showing up again, and it was a little too often, and I roared at him, "Go away! <laughs> Leave me alone! Go away!" I'm like. And people said, you did that in a store? I said, yeah, because I'm standing up for myself. So that's, you know, that's that anger part, right? I can, I can roar. Let that anger let me roar when it's going to, you know, uh, serve me. Yeah, that's interesting. Because it doesn't always serve me. I will say it doesn't always serve me. I'm human. But um, that, that's, that, that part of you can be an ally. And there's some it. dark heart work right there, right? I mean, in a way, I mean, that's kind of right in that category. It makes me think, I mean, I do too. My family traditionally were that my father's side. Uh, there's a lot of, of just generational anger there. And I've said, it, it's bad. I mean, it can build up and build up. And if you're not aware of it, it I bought, this is a way lately, just even recently it, I was meditating on that anger so mm-hmm. glad you brought this up because it's I hope this is useful to people to hear because it's important yeah, to not pretend like 
that's not real, that it's not there. But for me, I've, I've almost, the way I described it is like, I'm in a, I'm in a lake and there's a clear blue sky and the water's really clear. And I've been standing in the water under this beautiful clear sky and I can see my feet, you know, the water's so clear, but anger, my anger is in that water with me, but it's like in the deep, I'm in the shallow, but the anger is out in the deep end, like a, like a mm-hmm. slithery eel. Right. And it's just, yeah. just out of eyesight, just waiting. And the minute I'm not aware, it slithers up my leg and comes out my mouth. Mm-hmm. Wow. You know, as it's like That's my, awful. I open my mouth and it's like, there's the eel. And yeah. it's just waiting for an opportunity for me to not be aware that he's real, you know? Yeah. And, uh, wow. Because I just, it is, anger is so insidious like that. It's like, you know, without acknowledging, pretending, it just blows up. I mean. Mm-hmm. Well, and I've worked with, um, as one of my, one of my um, the most recent job that I, that I or the job I recently left, I was a um, director of a research study at Johns Hopkins School of Public Health that was looking at HIV and people who inject drugs, with a mm. history of injecting drugs. So my my interactions were I, that was what I I loved about the job more than anything was to really get to know um, our participants mm. and really sit because there's such pain and there is anger there is such destruction that's going on especially in I mean there you know Louisiana or New Orleans I oh mean, sure there's a lot of that going on um, inner city Baltimore and to really see, feel, and hear people and not be, oh, well, hmm, you know, I'm scared or, you know, people that, you know, have have really intensely hard and traumatic lives and really being witness to that, right? Yeah, yeah. And, and being really open to it. And it was really funny. People would sort of go, oh, how do you, how? well, so we had this conversation and they, they're, they're surprised that they're having this conversation with somebody who they perceive as being not part of what they have, you know, in their life. Right. But to feel it all is to understand and try to be really witness to people who have gone through really harsh, you know, traumatic uh, events in their life. And, and that includes anger and, you know, violence and things that can be very scary, but... I was there for 17 years learning. It wasn't just, you know, I learned so much. I could, I could hold that space so I could hear and learn and, and take in those, those experiences that people had that helped me be more witness and more, like, bear witness, right? Yeah, to bear yeah. witness even more of what that struggle is and not just place um, a, a label on it, right? And And cast it off as a label right yeah that's true i mean it is that that gets into some of the territory like you know the bodhisattva i mean the idea of carrying that that loving being compassionate as in truly allowing their suffering or pain or whatever to really be felt you know viscerally within yourself Um, right but we are we're kind of taught to run from that i mean almost to Mm -hmm. you know spray paint it chrome and gold in our world and, and just move on. Uh, I, I hear it all the time. I mean, I see it in very real way where it's almost like shoe fly, get out of my face. Um, right. Or, or one thing I hear that, and it hurts my heart. I won't say it makes me angry, but it stings me when I hear someone say, I can't think about all that. 
like when there's maybe war- suffering that they're presented with, like other people suffering, and it's like ah, I can't, I can't think about all that. I can't, I can't get down. Right. And I'm like, you know, it's sad that we haven't been taught how to do that. I think we really just haven't been taught as a collectively to do that. To go, hey, it's okay. Yeah. To look at the pain of the world and and not be brought down or destroyed by it, but to actually go down there with it, right. help and then rise up, help bring our brother or sister up out of it. Yeah, collectively, you know, yeah. I, that's what I would. I hope that we can have a world like that someday. You know, maybe I would like to think we can shift our paradigm, um, and we're in the in the process of doing it. Maybe as we're dealing with the very dark side of our society at this moment right exactly big shift needs to occur hopefully and and, i mean you know it can i I believe that i just think that uh, i have to give up i've kind of given up that it's like a lifetime thing i think sometimes that's where maybe frustration comes in it's like i'd like to see it in my lifetime but once i let go of the orin that's on the timeline i can get it yeah i go okay this isn't just my lifetime, you know, it's going to be work and maybe my son and his sons and right. daughters and yeah, right. generationally yeah. we can change it. Yeah. Okay. So this is a third question. This is an interesting one. I'm curious about this one. <laughs> What's something you disagree with about the way you were raised? Oh, uh, that's an interesting uh, question. Yeah. Prejudice. Oh, really? Oh yeah. Yeah. Unfortunately, my parents, um, you know, spoke the stereotype. Sure. I learned all the stereotypical terms, I perceptions very much of, about blacks, about yeah. black people. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I uh, grew up with that. Um, and I will say that my one brother very much challenged their their stance about it. When he did bring um, black people home, yeah. uh, I remember he brought a black person home for dinner, yeah. and my parents had them in. So it it was interesting because they were they could be very like when it was an intimate setting, and this person came through my brother. Then uh. oh yeah, and 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 his his friend was an opera singer, and my mother loved opera. Yeah. So there was a already a common There's connections you know, uh, there mm, connection, interesting right? so they could do that i can see this person but they always defaulted to what they learned growing up sure which was this is what this is how white world defines black people and how they are yeah so i will say that i can i can with every ounce of my being say that myself and my three siblings have squelched, squashed, gotten. We do not. We are all past and beyond, and that's do great. not. Yeah, you subscribe to any of that. Yeah, well, there you so go again. That that's generational one. work, right there. I mean, you, exactly. you're taking that thing that was in your upbringing, and you're going, "Hey, I'm calling this what it is. I'm changing it." You yes, know? we I, are not subscribing to that that ancient, horrid, you know prejudice racial yeah. you know finding and you know it, and you know and i'm looking at you know as much as i am that i do you know as we're as we're getting more um sensitive to these things and and you know the white priv- what it, the, there's a term for it i can't think of it right now but the idea that yes there are things that i know i've done or said or and they were in, they were not meant 
to be something in that vein. Yeah. But because I come from what I come from, yep. it, it came out. I mean, there's some things I'm not proud of. That sure. In Me the too. Moment, I agree. Yeah. I was like, oh, yeah. oh my God. When I look back on it, I'm like, holy shit. You know, what yeah, I, right. how, did I, how did that come out of me? You know, but you, but we all have those, those little blind spots or um, ways that you're, you're defaulting to because that's what I had the privilege to grow up and not have to be right. in the same relationship with it as another person. But I'm always willing to, to make sure somebody points it out to me. And I will own, I want to own what it is that I may have not been in the best of myself that I said or acted. Yeah. So, you know, I'm still working on that stuff. I, I'm oh, not, I hear not you. defined I... and taken care of. It's like, but I do know that that, that influence of those, those um, perceptions were, were broken, at least with my, my sibling, myself and my siblings um, in what, how we interact with the world. So that... Luckily, you know, that, that prejudice and that, that sense of racism has been uh, halted at, at, our, at our doorstep. That's really, I'm glad you shared that, actually, because it's so important. So often we don't want to, I know I've been through that, like I don't want to believe that those seeds are in me anywhere. But lately, especially in the last couple of years or the last four years, at least, I've, I've been looking harder. And I went, you know, there are still things <laughs> um there that I need to be questioning, you know, and and still tuning the dials. I most of the time, and I am, I guess in this regard, I'm thankful I have a teenager, you know, that's um, about to be college age because that generation is coming home with information. You know, you think I'm consuming, I think I'm consuming information and news and, and I'm um, absorbing data, whatever it may be. But when you have a child, their generation is they got new perspectives, you know, yeah. just, and I, I get to see it like through him and I go, you know, cause he'll challenge me on something. It may not be racism necessarily, but it might be some other thing where I perceive no, no block or no wall whatsoever, but he'll go, well, that's kind of odd mm-hmm. that you feel that way. And I go, what are you talking about? And then we'll have to have a conversation because I literally yeah. don't get it. And I have to go, is this like a thing? Like, is this a, a prejudice I have uh, in some form, you know? Yeah. What a, what a lovely uh, interaction and relationship you have with your son. That's, that's wonderful. I think that, you know, it's, it's weird because having, yeah, I tell him this all the time. I mean, I'll just, I'll put a pin in it and say, I tell him constantly when we have these conversations, I'm like, I did not have this. And yeah. I guess that this is my almost rebellion to that upbringing mm-hmm. of I didn't have that closeness. Yeah. I didn't sit with my father or mother. I mean, I loved right. them, but I didn't have a how are you doing today? Tell me your feelings. What's going on in your head? What are you interested in? Right. What do you believe in? It was just yeah. none of that. It was a very standardized. Yeah. My mother was right. there loving, nurturing, did what mothers do. Dad did what yeah. dads do. And I just I tell him, I'm like, this is something that's maybe not so common that it wasn't common in my life. And it is a treasure. It really is. I mean, I don't know any other way to say it. I hope I hope that he I hope someday that it will be a value to him, you know, to when he gets older, he's oh, like sure. able to lean on some of that and go, OK, this is this is a dynamic that I want to kind of have with right. my children or whatever family I have. So yeah. great. Uh, I do have one last question. It doesn't come from Fishbowl. Um, and I ask every guest this question, and it is, did anything good happen to you today? Well, 
I, yeah, I'm having this lovely conversation um, that I is feeding my soul and to have met you and to interact with this has been really wonderful. I've enjoyed so, this too. I really have. Yeah, absolutely. I've got a yeah, lot and, to and, think and about. To, yeah. And just to, just so your listeners know that if they're interested in um, the book that I wrote, that was based on the, um, those two vision quests in the, in the Sahara desert, it's called the rhythm of the soul, a journey of loss and discovery. And they can find that on Amazon um, they could also uh, search for it by the name. If they forget that, then my name is Lisa Diane McCall, and they can uh, search for it as in, in that as well. I'll put a link um, to it in the show notes as well, yeah. where they get some links yeah. where they can go straight to the book and purchase it. Yeah. And, yeah. You have, and your website. And, and reviews are, reviews are, would be, you know, a gift from, from the above, from you. Yeah. If people were to review it. That, I, I have, I think, about 36 reviews but it's always you know great to get more reviews yeah that helps a lot that's a hard thing to get people to do i find even with the podcast it's like reviews and sharing and um it does make a difference i don't know if anybody unless you're doing something or producing something like a book or a work or even a podcast um that helps so much more than people realize just that those even just stars or anything yes just interaction yeah it does help it kind of keeps the lifeblood flowing gets it in front of new listeners it uh creates that digital value for us anyway on a podcast i know that's the way it is yeah Yeah. and And i am i am uh, open for clients or working with people as as one-on-one clients um i'm trying to uh you know the, the shift into this into this um uh covid and much more online presence is, is a little challenging because usually with, when I do workshops, I do them very creatively. So I love having people come in and I, you know, I do art work and, and or art stuff and yeah. writing and it's very interactive. And so I'm trying to shift that, that how do I, and the savoring, you know, those kinds of things are, I love to have those things that can be done in a, in a space and not just, you know, on an online. So yeah. I'm, I'm working on how to, how to create this kind of, of, um, work that that has this online presence so i'm I'm working on that right now yeah that's something i wanted to bring up and and for the listeners too because they can get to you on your website but if they want they're interested in working with you you have that contact information there as well and the website is yeah they can they can click on on um it says contact me or you know click here and and you can um email me then you'll email me and, and let me know if you're interested in working with me and what's the what's the url i don't have it in front of me to your website um it's there's two so it's one is www.lisadmccall, that's okay. L-I-S-A-D-M-C-C-A-L-L dot com. So I have it as my name, but there's also, um, because my, my website is Explore the Dark Heart, so there's also www.explorethedarkheart.com. Okay. So there's yeah. two different URLs. Okay, I hadn't been to your URL that had your name. I went to explorethedarkheart.com. Well, that that what I'm saying is that my oh, name. Oh, they're the same. Gotcha. Right. It just right. redirects just it a, to there. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah so yeah. I did see that on there that you had looked like you had like you said three different ways of working with people. You have like a monthly where it's an email type relationship, and then you have yeah. There's also I do that sometimes with people if they don't want to do the full blown one on one. But you know, I I I have found that there's an effectiveness of yeah. You know, having it's sort of like a journaling, like you're you're back and forth. Yeah, in that a, pen, kind a, 
yeah, a pen pal to some degree. I mean, where you yeah. can get some insight from someone that right. I mean, I can see value right. in that, but I, I definitely think the one-on-one, uh, I get what you mean. I mean, I will say this, even this podcast, when I first started it, uh, we recorded them all in studio. I was sitting across the table with every person I interviewed right. and it was yeah, so yeah. different in the sense that, um, I could feel the person to some degree, you know, I could see their little nuances and ticks and we were feeding off of each other. But I was worried. I really was translating to this format. And now after and we started around episode 80, just going straight digital and I'm I'm getting more comfortable with it. I think yeah, I'm like with you, like I feel connected, like literally connected to you. And yeah. I do. I tell my wife that now I get out of these conversations and in the evening when we chat, I'm like, yeah, it's amazing how you can have a genuine connection yes, through through this apparatus. It's not just... Yep. Uh, and thank God. I mean, think about how this all evolved at a time just when it has become the most crucial way of, of connecting with each other. Yeah, absolutely. It couldn't have been designed to have this, this, these tools at our, at our fingertips when we are, you know, in, in something that has, has ripped us into a, a, a more isolated, um, uh, you know, a, a interaction with the world. So, yeah. Yeah, it's been it's been it's been a blessing. You know, it's, it's I always say I get zoomed out or whatever, you know, videoed out. <laughs> right. Um, but it's still, gosh, thank God we have these things that are yeah. that are aiding us. I feel blessed. I mean, to be able to sit and have conversations with people like you, uh, I do. I, I keep I think about this every week about what it's it's kept me healthy mentally emotionally through this covid period especially mm -hmm. to be able to have yeah. these types of talks with people and i mean i've yeah. really enjoyed this conversation today especially i just i i don't know there was something about it that i just it's invigorating it's refreshing Good. it's hopeful i you feel know. the same way excellent yeah, i feel very i feel very I, you know it, it it when you when you have the the right kind of um synergy yeah. Right? It, it, it does. It, 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 it enervates and invigorates. So it's been very, very wonderful. Yeah, today. I get that with certain guests. There are ones like this, like this conversation where I'll, I'll be thinking about it within at least I know in the next months. But I mean, over the course of my life, I mean, I, I do go back to some of these conversations. I try to tell people that this that's what we're talking about this stuff for. It's so you can hear real people having these conversations and going and, and maybe it's going to cause them to reflect on something you know and go hey i can pull just one little thing that can help me change the day you know just a little bit i'm more thankful every moment that i found thanks for listening to my beacon series conversation with lisa diane mccall if you'd like to experience her book the rhythm of the soul visit findthegood.news slash bookshop. If you found something of use in this conversation, consider visiting findthegood.news slash donate, where you can help me continue this good news mission from the Louisiana Gulf Coast. I thank you for pressing play and for syncing up with this good news beacon.